0: Welcome to the Not Tonight Podcast, where we have bold conversations about sex in marriage. I'm Rachel.
1: And I'm Caitlin,
0: And we are two married women who believe that when we take the shame and secrecy out of sex, we open up the path to freedom.
1: In each episode, we will elevate stories of women discovering their most authentic self by doing the work in their own sex lives.
0: Join us as we hear from incredible women just like you, who are discovering that the path to healing begins in the bedroom. Welcome back to the Not Tonight podcast. We are here today with the lovely Erica, who is here to share her story with us. Thank you, Erica, for being here.
2: Thank you for having me, ladies. I'm excited to chat with you.
0: Awesome. Okay. So Erica, before we get started into the deep, heavy questions, could you give us a little quick stat about you, who you are and your marriage?
2: Sure. Um, so I am a living in Indianapolis, Indiana. So I'm a Midwest girl. I've been married to my husband for, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, nine and a half years, nine and a half years. We've been together 12 years, nine and a half years married. We have two kids that are four and six And those are pretty much the basics. I work from home. I work for myself. And I love that. I'm a writer. And yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: All right. So married for almost a decade with two littles. So we'd love to go back to the beginning and ask you how you learned about sex and what that was like for you growing up.
2: Mm, Well, I would say... I didn't, I, what I will say is that my parents didn't really ever talk about sex and, like, mm. to this day have never talked about it <laughs> to me. So um, I grew up with very little information. I mean, the first that I learned was, of course, in sex ed in elementary school and just kind of started to figure things out from there, hearing it from people on the playground. So it was never something to where I had a talk or my parents were informing me about what this was or how to think about it. It was always just, mm sort of let other people teach you and, you know, also, you know, just don't have sex till you're married. That's the main point. Um, and then, you know, the majority of what I learned really came from the church after that, um, just growing up in the church that, you know, they talk about that subject sometimes. And then, um, I was dead center in the middle of purity culture. So, That was a huge, huge impression on me. That is something that I'm still struggling with, and I'm sure we'll get
1: more Mm -hmm. into that.
0: But Mm -hmm. that is the genesis of my sex ed, I guess you would say. Interesting. So you're saying you learned about sex ed in school, but you also were in the middle of purity culture. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious what that education was like for you, because I'm guessing there might have been some differences. Were you in the public education system? Mm -hmm. Okay. So public education and purity culture, church culture, like what was that like?
2: Well, I remember at school, it was more, I felt like it was more like the mechanics of like, this is how this happens. And these are these parts Mm -hmm. and just very kind of basic stuff. I don't remember being told anything about like, whether or not you should wait or, you know, what sex was Mm -hmm. for, like, none of like the whys or the deeper uh, aspects behind it. I mean, I could have missed that, but it was fifth grade. So I really, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. And then I don't remember ever really hearing about it in school ever again. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. um, and then in terms of church, I guess they sort of got into that more starting in middle school and especially high school. um, And that was definitely not the mechanics, but Mm -hmm. the, you know, the reasons why we wait to have sex until we're married. Um, which of course, you know, kind of got boggled up with some bad reasons and other things that um, were very twisted, I
0: think. Yeah. So fascinating to me that the school education is like, you guys can handle the mechanical stuff. And then the church tends to go, we're not going to even talk about those mechanics at all. We're just going to put a lot of, like, shame and moralism and, like, all this extra gunk on top of it, hoping that at some point you learn those mechanics, because otherwise we don't even know what we're talking about here, right?
2: Yeah, they're you know, they tell you at church, like, it's sex is this amazing thing, it's so wonderful, <laughs> but, like, you are totally, like, okay, but, like, you have no idea why or what that means or how that... Like it doesn't just, you know, and then you learn later in life, of course, like it doesn't just happen like that. It's not just always so Mm -hmm. wonderful. And um, it's not the most important thing. I mean, I don't Mm -hmm. think it's the most important thing in
0: a relationship. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. But we will get to that. We will get yes. to that. <laughs> uh, before we get too far ahead, um, what were some of the main messages in purity culture that you received? Like, I we've heard the, like, wait till marriage. That's very common. But I think that's also, like, I don't know if I would say that that is purity culture as much as it's just a deeply held belief within the Christian faith. And I, you know, I will say that I actually, like,
2: hold that belief. Like, I still mm-hmm. do, but I... There's so many things surrounding it, you know, that were not healthy. And mm-hmm. so I would say that uh, the the main one that or one of the main ones that has stayed with me all these years is is your obligation as a wife to provide uh, sex for your husband when he wants it, when he needs it. You know, being told mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. men need this sexual release, and if you are their wife, like you that's your job. Like your job mm-hmm. is to provide that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then rarely ever being explained, like being told like how women enjoy sex or how they can enjoy sex. Like, it's not really about you. It's just about Mm -hmm. them. And it's so male-centered and um, they act as if it's not, it's just like not a mutual thing. It's really just about him. So I would say that that's another one. Um, uh, Also, just the fact that Um, like men are always lusting, like they're always going to look at you as an object. And it's like you, you know, you are the gatekeeper, you know, based on like what you're wearing or what you're doing or what you're saying. Um, And, and, and almost like painting this like predatory picture of all men and all guys. And then also teaching boys that they basically don't have control over themselves, that they can't make decisions in clear mindedness because of lust and rather than teaching boys that they have self-control, that women, you know, in the church to teach them that, you know, women and girls are, you know, you know, made in God's image. They're God's children. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ or whatever. And literally creating, putting girls as objects, like making them out to be objects. Mm -hmm. And so those are some of them. For me, the obligation sex thing has been the most damaging one of the most damaging I think because I went into marriage Mm -hmm. thinking I have to do this like it's just a chore it's I don't like it um and then I I guess the other thing I don't know what specific teaching it would be but just I have so much shame I mean just shame upon shame and I Mm -hmm. I can't quite ever connect the dots on exactly what it was Mm -hmm. um that has has made me feel that way in adulthood
0: yeah I mean I think the, the shame is like death by a million cuts. Like, I think that it is hard to pinpoint where that comes from, because I think there's a lot of little things that pile up and it's so hard to untangle. But I'd love to um, ask you, Erica, like, so there's these messages that were harmful for you, but how did that play out? How did those messages play out when you were in relationships in high school? Were you in relationships? Like how did you view boys? Did you view them as scary threats or like, how did you view your own body because of these messages that you received? Like how did that play out for you?
2: I feel like I did view uh, guys as threats in a way. Um, I was always very scared of physical intimacy of any kind. Mm -hmm. Like, And I couldn't, it wasn't like it felt like it was wrong to kiss someone. I didn't feel like, oh, this is a, you know, it just, there was something in me that was like just terrified of Mm -hmm. any kind of sexual interaction with, with a guy. And so, um, I, I had one boyfriend in high school and honestly, it was my, it was this fear, this inability to, um, have any kind of physical relationship basically that was without, like, I was just freaking out all the time like that caused the end of that relationship. And I was like, I just can't do this. I can't, I just can't do this.
0: Mm. And
2: I thought this is never going to go away. And that was when I was 17. And I still think that thought sometimes, I mean, I'm in a much, much better place, mm. um, but there are still sometimes moments where I thought, this anxiety is never going to go away. And mm. so what that meant, that is, I went to college and You know, like most people would be like dating around. Well, I didn't really date anyone in college. I just, I never, I felt like something was wrong with me. And I was like, maybe I'm putting up a defense. I don't know. And then um, eventually I just, I realized that when I drank alcohol, I didn't have those feelings. And so Mm. I, you know, started drinking a lot more, partying a lot more in college, you know, kind of hooking up with people because when I was drunk, I was fine. But Mm -hmm. what that led to was, you know, down the line, like using alcohol for that purpose over and over and over again to where I was like, I don't, I can't do this without alcohol. Mm -hmm. And so I would date people, but all of my dating relationships were fueled by, with drinking. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it was always, I need this to, you know, and so I never had like any kind of fulfilling, real fulfilling relationship with anybody until I met my husband, um, which, you know, that's, we turned a corner there with a whole other story, but, um, but yeah, it definitely led to me using alcohol in really unhealthy ways. Um, and as you probably know, Rachel, I gave up drinking two years ago. Um, mm-hmm. actually at the same time I started doing, um, uh, wanting it more program with Jana Denton house, mm-hmm. who, who is, that's where we met through that program, all of three of us. And at that same time, I remember thinking, okay, I've got to focus on this program that I'm doing and I cannot focus if I'm drinking. And so I was like, I'm going to give up drinking and I'm going to start this program. And so I never, and I've never gone back to drinking ever since. So that was definitely a positive development.
1: I'm wondering, Erica, what was the drinking doing for you? What was it hiding or what was it allowing you to overcome that you weren't able to previously without the drinking?
2: Well, inhibitions, but I think I didn't worry about, am I doing this right? Like, I always felt like I was like 12 years old. Like, I don't know how, I don't know how to do this thing. You know, I don't know how to have sex. I don't know how to, everything's scary to me. And, and, you know, Mm -hmm. without realizing, I mean, I'm like in high school, like, of course, everyone is figuring things like that out. So Mm -hmm. there would have been nothing weird about the fact that I didn't know what I was doing, but, um, but I think with the alcohol, I was just like, I remember specifically being like, I'm going to, uh, like hook up with this person because this, like, I'm going to like educate myself. Like mm-hmm. this, this sounds weird, but I, I really would be like, I've got to learn some of this stuff so that like when I'm in a real relationship, like I know what I'm doing, which right. sounds ridiculous. I've never even said that out loud, but I, I was doing it cause I was like, well, I don't care when I'm, you know, whatever, like this person. And so that's what it, it did. It just removed my fears, my worries, what other people would think. Like, mm-hmm. it, and, and also I just always felt like I started to really attach like my self-worth to what, is was somebody attracted to me and could I get somebody to want to make out with me or whatever, which mm-hmm. is so opposite of like who you would think I am now. And I would have never been that way without alcohol ever. Mm. But with the alcohol, I just felt like I was a different person. Um, but then in the light of day, you know, it was totally different. And so, mm. yeah.
1: I think that's a really, really interesting point that you were doing it almost as a way to educate yourself, which I think just points yeah. to, oh my gosh, look at all of us running around, you know, you did get your, you from church and from school, you got some basics. <laughs> um, but like, the lack of education that all people receive, but women about all of it, how their body works, how how the whole thing works, and just, you know, that you're not broken, that, you know, what's normal, you know, if we want to use that term normal, but like that just points to, I think, an experience that so many women have um, of just trying to figure it out, because we have very little guidance, so.
2: Yeah, I mean, I remember (laughs) kind of funny, but I remember I was like junior, senior in high school and I, everybody always talked about 69. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. I was so embarrassed that I didn't know what it was, but I like, didn't have anyone to ask. (laughs) And, um, you know, I was like terrified. Well, I still am not a huge (laughs) fan, but I was like fully terrified of them back then because I was like, they're just like, I don't understand them. They just, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and so I just felt so foreign to the male body. And, um, it just, I guess like learning in church that like men were like these like predators and like, they couldn't control themselves. I mean, I think that contributed to it, like kind of being like, I don't want anything to do with that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so even though I did, because I was like a romantic and I wanted to have a boyfriend and I wanted to fall in love. Um, But it was that physical piece that kept me from ever really opening myself up to that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I relate so much, Erica. I was that person, too, where I wanted that, but I also was terrified of it. And I also was kind of an intimidating presence when I was younger. And so I just I never dated at all in high school. So I, I hear that. And I wonder if that perception of men being out of control of their own bodies and everything like that, there's actually a relation specifically to the penis and how that is out of control because it kind of does its own thing sometimes. (laughs) And I think that like that, I think that was scary to me, that idea that there's this body part that can control this whole person and -hmm. it has its own kind of mind and then like wants things and demands things. And yeah, I think it sets us up to be kind of afraid
2: when there's that messaging. I I had not, I had not ever thought about it. And I will, I tell you, I'll just be honest. I still today. I'm like, I'm not really about this. Like it's weird. (laughs) I don't have one. Like I, you know, sometimes I'll just be like, I should just get to know it better. You know? Right? I need to just spend some time, stop being afraid. Yes.
0: <laughs> it's pretty foreign to the female experience, so. Yes, yes, totally. Yeah. <laughs> well, how do we segue from that? Not really sure. Uh-huh. Um- <laughs>
2: Well, you know, it's like I feel so comfortable with you guys because I've, like, in the past, you know, in our group that we were in, I, like, we would share the most intimate oh, yeah. things. So no. that's why oh, I'm yes. now, like, I'm just going to
0: go for it. There we <laughs> go. Yeah. That yeah, is, that, that This here. is the place for it. You know, I can tell you right now that we are not the only women in the world who are, like, not really sure how we feel about penises. Like, <laughs> I'm sure there's other women listening to this I'm going, I'm sure oh. that
1: most women can have some sort of relatability to that because... But we don't see it. It was a bad, scary thing to us, right? Like, it was just this, ah, like, you're right. Pointing out the fact that almost, like, it has no control over itself. So we need to, yeah, like, be afraid of it. It is almost like a weapon or it's a harmful thing or whatever. (laughs) And just such unfamiliarity. We don't know what it is, what to do with it. Like, these are the conversations that... We should be having in sex ed that we're not mm-hmm. of just like this is what it is and this is why it's normal and not scary and here's how you can interact with it in a positive way and stuff but mm-hmm. it, it, we don't mm-hmm. receive any of that
2: yeah uh you know my husband who has been really positive in this journey not always but some m- many times um he you know is like a typical male and he you know sometimes be like like girls are supposed to like love penises and all this stuff. And I'm just like, no, everybody is not like that. And that's something that I learned in wanting it more, um, is just, and reading a lot of books, like Emily Nagoski's book is that like, people are really different. And you know, my husband sometimes in the past would jokingly like, Oh, are you sure you're not a lesbian? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sure I'm not a lesbian. I feel like I would know, you know, um, just because I am not obsessed with this doesn't mean like I like women, you know, and, and so he has a, he's a little bit, got a little bit of a sexist attitude towards some things, but that doesn't help.
0: <laughs> working on it, working on yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, you know, but we have to point out there is a lot of swimming upstream that has to happen for those messages to get undone in our minds and in our husband's minds. Mm -hmm. And so there is this message that, you know, well, penises are awesome. Women are supposed to love them. Like they're this like mark of manhood. And so why wouldn't women just be obsessed with them? Because quite honestly, men are obsessed with them. So, (laughs) you know, like I think that it's important for us to recognize there's just a lot there that, it takes time. It takes time to undo. And you are very normal for yeah. not being obsessed with penises. So yeah. just Thank have you. to point that out. <laughs> Any woman listening, if you are not obsessed with penises, it does not make you a lesbian. It makes me normal. <laughs> quote of the day. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So Okay, so we're seeing how a bunch of these messages started drifting over into your marriage. But I'd love to hear a little more, Erica, about your experience coming together with your husband, getting to know him. Alcohol was still part of the picture at that time. How did that play a role in you getting to know him and exploring your own sexuality as you walked toward marriage? Yeah.
2: Well, let's see. I I met my – the well, positive start to our relationship is that we met – Uh, we met on a, like a date from online and I had like one glass of wine over a course of like two and a half hours. So it didn't start off in a super drinky type of environment. So that was good. Um, didn't feel drunk or anything. And it was just like a nice little first date. Um, of course, eventually it, you know, led to like, you know, we would go out and drink and stuff like that. Um, but pretty soon after we started dating seriously, like I had to tell him about my issue or my problem. That's what I just over the years. I'm like, you know, my Mm -hmm. intimacy problem, that's what I call it. And so, you know, I told him was like, Hey, so I have to tell you, like, I have this thing because in the past, looking back, I'm like, man, I really dated some immature guys before that, because, Mm -hmm. um, I, for, for whatever reason, the past couple of guys before him, I had dated were like a little bit younger than me. And so I don't know, they just, you know, had expectations and there's no way they could have handled this. Like I have an intimacy problem conversation. It would have been like, uh, yeah, but my husband was actually five, he's five years older than me. He was divorced. He has been through a lot. So to hear like, oh, so you have like anxiety about sex. Like that's literally not a problem. That's the smallest of all problems in the problems he's encountered in his life. So Mm -hmm. he was just like, Oh, okay, well, that's no big deal. Like, and I was just like, really, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and honestly, I, I, you know, I didn't, he, he didn't get the full scope of it for a while, but essentially his ability and his uh, uh, willingness to just not even willingness, just how he was to just be like, okay, well, that's like really not that big of a deal. And I like you and I love you and all the other things about you and you know, we'll deal with that. Like, that's a thing, but I don't really care. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I had never had anyone be like that, you know? It had always been like a problem. Mm-hmm. And so that gave me the freedom to be like, oh, okay. Like, and I really think it's one of the things that, you know, made me fall in love with him because he, was so kind and like really compassionate about that. And I think his life experience is really the thing that like, I got a bigger perspective than these little boys you were dating before.
0: <laughs> so, so refreshing. That,
2: yeah, it was, it was great. And, and, um, you know, that is for the most part continued on, we do have our frustrations. Um, we still deal with our issues w- with it, Um, but I would give him a, you know, a pretty much an A minus throughout our marriage on this on this issue. So
0: (laughs) I'd love to hear more about that conversation. Like did you just say I'm anxious about sex or did you like when you say you have this issue with sex, like how did you would you describe that issue?
2: I think I, I I was just like I just I get really anxious. I think I just described it as a very high anxiety situation. I get uncomfortable, sometimes it's really hard for me to relax and Um, you know, it's just a struggle. And so I can't be pressured and that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, it took me until I did the wanting it more program to realize that it's okay that it takes time Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) and that
2: like, if you don't want to do it, like in the movies and like rip each other's clothes off, that's not bad. It's not even normal to do that. And that it does, you know, it take me time to like i I always come into it like a frozen block of ice mm. and then it just I gotta chill I've got to take that time until like the ice melts away <laughs> um probably longer than you know your average person but that's I have to accept that that's the way that I am and that's okay
1: I love that metaphor of the frozen block of ice, just because I think, That's how I feel. yeah, I think, and I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that, this whole idea that, you know, and, and some people can just arrive ready to go to the sexual experience, but many people, especially women, um, take time. And whether you're a frozen block of ice, or you're just like, not in the mood or you know whatever like such an important part of the conversation that the the intimacy the nurturing the softness all those pieces often need to come first but of course that's not even a part of the conversation that we learn about when we're educate when we're getting educated about sex you know it's Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. just like you hear the word foreplay but that's kind of like a vague idea, thought. Yeah, what even
2: is that, right? Yeah, like, exactly. It's different for everybody. <laughs>
1: exactly. And I always heard that was just like, yeah, whatever. I don't know, like skip kind of. Because I, myself, because I didn't understand how I worked... I didn't realize the necessity of the the easing in the, you know, and getting myself out of whatever state I'm in, block of ice or otherwise, to be able to be present and enjoy that and embody that sexual experience. So I just really like that metaphor.
2: Yeah. And I mean, one of the other just sort of cha- big changes I made a couple years ago that, you know, I would just always feel like, oh, well, if If my husband, again, this goes back to the obligation, if he wants it, I should say yes, and then I would just feel so guilty if I said no, and I'd be like, oh, you know, just going on. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking back a couple years ago, oh, so I don't have to, like, do this on the couch when CNN is on the TV, right? (laughs) Like, because I hated that, like, but I would have done that, you know? And now, like, since then, you know, it's only ever in a bed, you know, I often, you know, I turn on music. Um, I I really need the kids to be completely gone, which is really hard yeah. because they're here a lot. Because <laughs> yeah. they live here, but um, because I can't, I have a really hard time relaxing when they're here because I just mm-hmm. know somebody's going to come knocking or yelling, and then I just can't
0: deal with it. So it's hard. Yeah. No. What I'm hearing is that like you know you're going to be a block of ice. And so you are learning some tools to help start thawing that before your husband even comes into the picture. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, that on the couch with CNN on, you are going to be extra frozen, (laughs) like extra. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And so, you know, that music and quiet, like, I think that's wonderful. And so it's not saying that magically you need to discover how to not be a block of ice. It's letting you come into that experience with permission to be that block of ice and just give Mm -hmm. you some tools to help that process, knowing that it's possible for you to thaw out, right? Right. Without saying like,
2: oh no, I feel this way right now. It's not going to work, but Mm -hmm. trusting like, okay, you've done this before. And I still have to remind myself of this. And even just you know, when I have like enough time, like, I don't know if it's like, okay, we have a full hour or something. Like I always, almost always we can get to the point where I'm like finally comfortable, but if it's like less time, like 30 minutes or less or something, I, I I, I can't. Mm -hmm. And so that does make it difficult to, you know, have this special time every once a week, but um, Mm -hmm. I'm always like, oh yeah, like I got to that place, like, but it took a really long time. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. Thank you for pointing out that topic as well. I actually, I just watched something. I don't even know where I saw it. Social media somewhere. But it was a guy going around asking people how long they thought sex should last. And, like, I don't think anybody said over, like, 30 or 40 minutes. But, like, Mm -hmm. I I was shocked. I was like, nobody thinks it should last longer than that? Because I'm not even ready to go until at least then you know like Mm -hmm. i'm still just like in cuddle mode at that point for me and again Mm -hmm. something this is something i learned later but um i think that is very against the norm uh it's Mm -hmm. just like we should get in we should get it done with like that is that's a lot more normal and i don't think that works for a lot of people or works well for a lot of people but I do think that's what's normal. So thank you for pointing out, like, mm-hmm. that that takes a while for you to achieve that state of even being thought a little bit to desire sex and mm-hmm. and to want to be there. And, yeah, it's just another way I think we've been kind of misled or mistaught. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And, I mean, and it goes to that whole definition of, like, what is sex, mm-hmm. you know? And if it's yeah. just penis and vagina until, you know, uh, then it's not that's okay. Yeah. That can take five minutes, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) if that's that's what your experience is, it's purely, you know, what is it? Utilitarian. I don't know if that's the right word, but, um, it's not, it's not intimate
0: really. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, Erica, what, since, since we're talking about timing right now, and, um, I'm just curious before this transformative process you went through, how long was the sexual encounter? For you and your husband oh my gosh for me it
2: would be as quick as humanly possible because i just wanted to get it over with yeah be like just okay you know i just feel and i would say sometimes i still have this thought i'm just like okay like let's just get this over with Mm -hmm. but much less so um so yeah like five minutes ten minutes Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know always something like that because Mm -hmm. to me it was like
0: oh i have to be this object for him because that's my job as a wife Mm mm-hmm And now it's not 10 minutes anymore, is it?
2: No, now I would say, I mean, it's probably ends up being around like 30, 40 minutes if, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, longer would be better, but it's just like, we don't have a lot of good times
1: to do it. So,
2: um, that's what it ends up being. That's what I would prefer the timing to be, so...
0: Yeah, and you can really like have layers to the experience and really mm-hmm. get in that space of intimacy when you break past that 30 minute barrier I feel like
2: yeah and we usually you know have like time of really talking afterwards and just laying there and that's mm-hmm. always a really good time as well and that's mm-hmm. honestly like almost like more important to me than anything else because mm-hmm. I do you know it's like even in the past when I didn't like when I really hated it, um, I still would be like, but I do feel like closer to you afterwards and I don't know what it is. Mm. Um and, and now
0: even more so with that. That's awesome. Do you know what you can pinpoint that as now? The feeling closer? I mean I, I think that like, you know, God made us for
2: each other. So I think that's part of it, you know, God made our bodies to go together and especially like the person that you marry. Um I think there's like a divine aspect of that that plays into mm. it for us. And like, it also, it also, you know, I guess gives us that chance to like, just talk without stress. Like I'm usually a big stress ball. I'm always very uptight. I'm very uptight. And so I, you know, I get to that point where I'm not so uptight. So I guess that's part of it too.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, The one thing, one thing that I do still struggle with now is I have this, I'm always thinking about like, when's the last time, when's the last time, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if time goes and it's more than a week, I, my anxiety about it starts to build back up. Mm -hmm. So to stave off that anxiety, I need to do it more. Um, I don't think that's healthy. I haven't figured out how to do that yet or get rid of it, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. it is something that I'm noticing where I'm like, wow, it becomes a bigger and bigger deal. The longer time goes on. Mm. Um, whereas, like, oh, if we were doing this every day, it wouldn't be a big deal. Um, mm. So,
0: and why do you think that anxiety builds? And why, like, what is that message in there that's underneath the? It's been it's been this much time. We need to make it happen. I, I
2: put pressure on myself because you know how it is. Like a guy wants to make sure that you're enjoying yourself, and so mm. I feel very pressured to make sure that I'm enjoying myself and like, mm. you know, reach really you new, know, make him, it's like, I'm thinking all about him, like make him happy with my reactions, which mm. is too much pressure. And he would say, I don't put that expectation on you. Um, but I just know that like, you know, a person that cares about their partner wants them to enjoy it, obviously, because he's a, you know, he's not a selfish partner. So I put a lot of pressure on myself to, like, perform, I guess, and mm. I, you know, the longer time goes on the more I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna be able to do it like, you know mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. I, I hate it I hate that <laughs> I do that
1: to myself <laughs> yeah. I think it's really common what you're talking about mm-hmm. just the phrase, the pr- the pressure to make sure I'm enjoying myself the contradiction in that <laughs> yeah, what a t- <laughs> right right. <laughs> phrase. right, but I think that's extremely common, because you're right, like most partners of course want that their partner to be enjoying the sexual experience, but often women, I know I've gone through this, it's so hard to actually just sit in that instead of worrying about enjoying it to actually just be inside my body enjoying it instead of the pressure to enjoy it. Like what how mm-hmm. there's just so many things, you know, that are like almost set up against us to be successful at this. Yeah.
2: Well, and I also was thinking about this yesterday. I was thinking, I'm a, I'm a very, like, I'm very productive, I'm a go-getter. I'm like, I'm gonna do this. I'm a goal-oriented, I'm gonna get things done. This is not something you can rush. It's not something you can accomplish. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not something that you can control. And I have, to, I have to let everything else in my life go. I can't do it, I can't. You have to leave everything outside and be fully vulnerable. And I would never tell you that I wasn't a vulnerable type of person outside of this, but I realized that I, I am when it comes to being naked and being like, like to, to express something that I would want. Like, it's just so hard to be fully vulnerable, even though, you know, my husband's like, but I'm your husband and I love you. And like, it's me, I'm your best friend, you know, I still really have a hard time doing that. Um, and and I've, I've come to believe, uh, just, you know, from a faith perspective, some things I've been reading lately, it's like, what, ha- okay, so the first thing that happened, you know, after Adam and Eve sinned is that they were naked and they were ashamed. And I was like, it all goes back to that, like, we're not supposed to be ashamed, but, like, that's one of the repercussions of the fall is, is that we are ashamed of our bodies.
0: And so anyway, it runs deep it runs deep, <laughs> it runs <really> deep. <laughs> it runs deep. yeah. And I think, you know, going back to something you said, Erica, about leaving everything behind and having these experiences, like, Something that I know I have learned in the last few years that's been important to me is when I don't leave things behind, when I am just like when my brain is just on overdrive and but it's like we've set aside this time, we are dedicating this time to be about connection and intimacy. I've learned like if I start shaming myself for bringing things into the bedroom that I don't want to be in the bedroom, it just creates this spiral of shame. <laughs> and so I know like when I am feeling down or I'm feeling stressed, like I have got to deal with that in the bedroom. I can't just set it outside the door. Like that, that creates such a pressure that I just, I, I, can't, I can't be fully me. Like if I'm gonna be mm-hmm. fully myself and fully vulnerable, I've got to bring every part of my emotion into that experience, including my to-do list for the next day. My like thoughts about this kid's school pickup and my thoughts about like this hard conversation I had with a friend, like I have to bring that. And so for me, this is my personal experience. I like our experiences usually start with a lot of talking and decompressing of my own day before I can ever get beyond that cuddle stage. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. I'm just going to be up here circling and then shaming myself about circling. And, like, that doesn't get me anywhere. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I know, like, at least for me, that's been so important is just bringing every little thing into that environment and being my same self in and out. Yeah,
2: that's true. That's true. That's a good point.
0: But – it's a journey because we are taught for so long that no, this is this sacred space where you become this like sexual person and you're not anywhere else, especially yeah. I'd say within a, a churchy environment, you're not a sexual being outside of the bedroom. Mm-hmm. But no. then when you're in the bedroom, you become this like sex goddess.
2: Except for when you're accidentally tempting the men you know <laughs> in a
0: sanctuary yep. right. <laughs> right. yes that's because you're not right because you're not allowed to be that unless but right. yeah right. yeah uh, i have lots of feels about that yeah yeah totally <laughs>
2: totally i i actually just interviewed sheila grigore um you know she did
0: This is, this. there's a lot of Sheila love here. (laughs)
2: Yeah, and
0: I I interviewed her for the second
2: time, actually, and then I'm writing a story about her for Christianity Today. So so look for that. But we, you know, so I've done a lot of digging about it lately. And just, I had actually not read her book, which is crazy. I just, when her book came out, I was still, like, sort of in the middle of whim stuff, wanting it more stuff. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, I feel like I just did, like, such a deep dive into all this. I need a break. um, Yeah. Now I'm reading it and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I see it all. Oh my <laughs> gosh, this is insane. I, how did this happen? How is this still happening?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but then everything so. makes so much sense. Like there's the how is this happening, but also, oh, now everything, all these spinny thoughts, all of this shamey stuff, it makes sense it now. It does
2: start to connect the dots. Um, it really does. Uh, so, yeah, it's a good yeah. eye-opener. And I I think yeah. she is really making headway I think she's doing good stuff
0: yeah mm-hmm. so the book we're talking about for anyone who's not aware is Sheila Gre- Gregoire's the great sex rescue which it's the book is a couple years old now but it is making waves and um, making some evangelical people upset <laughs> so and the
2: thing the the whole premise of my story that I wrote for Christianity today is that I noticed that like Christian women from all over the spectrum like whether they're evangelical progressive whatever all of these people like what she's saying and Mm. that's what's really interesting is that like she's bringing like all these people with different doctrinal and theological beliefs like but that are like on this on this like they were all wrong and
1: like Mm -hmm. something
2: has to change so it's really interesting
1: So
0: fascinating. So what then are you going to take into the future with your own kids since you're still raising them in a Christian environment, to my understanding, Mm -hmm. um, but you recognize there's a lot of harm that's been done from that narrative. Like, what does that look like for you as you parent your kids
2: um yeah, I mean one thing I would also say is just that out, outside of the actual like sexual part of purity culture, um mm-hmm. there was also an aspect of purity culture that was um the the marriage narrative, which is like mm-hmm. getting married is the mo- is so important and everybody gets married and pray for your husband and all these things. Um I obsessed over having a husband i mean i was 18 years old and worried about getting married i and i don't know if that was all church or that was partly me being who i am but i want my kids especially my daughter like i don't want them to think like that getting married is the most important thing like i want them to you know think about all their like life goals and things in like if they meet someone that is a good fit, then I want them to get married. But I don't want it to be like, oh, you have to do this, and this is so important. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Um, number two, we just try to be really, we try to use, uh, you know, anatomically correct body parts, and just talk openly. Mm-hmm. Like, just try to be very, like, open about anything to do with uh, private parts. We don't. I try not to even say private parts because I want to mm-hmm. say penis and vagina. I want them to know. What their parts are and that there's something wrong with them and like never say anything that's shaming at all um and you know just be clear and blunt okay like i i, I, I kind of need to figure out what ex- you know how i want to do this um on a deeper level but i think the best advice i heard was like i don't know something like a million one minute conversations or something where it's just you have little conversations here and there it's not a sex talk it's just a Ongoing Conversation. Um, that's from the Birds and Bees. I don't know if you know them. The Birds and Bees
0: Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. I have heard of them.
2: Yeah. They're they're a good, they're they're specifically for, for parents of littles. Like I think ages like three to eight or nine or something. Awesome. Um, but yeah. So I, I try to just be like, you know, even though I'm uncomfortable a lot, my husband is not uncomfortable at all. He wasn't raised in purity culture. He wasn't raised with mm-hmm. any of that. So he's super comfortable talking about, most things, um, which is, I think, going to be a plus for our kids. That's great. Maybe not comfortable, but
0: (laughs) I'm... You're working on it. Pretending I'm comfortable. (laughs) Yes. Well, the more we heal our own stories, the more comfortable we become in talking with our kids. And you're doing that hard work. You are doing that work in your life and recognizing those pieces where shame still has a hold and walking through them. And that's what we do here as we walk through it, we're not perfect. We're not healed. We're not beyond all of it. It's walking one step at a time through what we've been given, the stories, the messages, the, you know, those harmful things that have tangled things up for us. So yeah. Untangling takes time.
2: Yeah, it does. Could, could, you know, it'll just keep untangling for, for a lifetime.
0: Forever. Yes. (laughs) Forever. Okay. So one last question for you. What, would you say to your teenage self now about sex? If you could take her under your wing and say, "Little well, Erica, let me tell you some things. Mm. Now that we are a decade into marriage, post-alcohol, with children, like you're a different human now and you've learned a lot. What would you say to her? Mm, gosh, that's so hard. Uh, what would I say? What would I say?
2: Maybe I would start by saying, you know, stop worrying about sex and just, you know, if you're going to date someone or talk to someone, worry about like all the other parts of who they are first. Mm. And also I, when, once I got into college and everything, I, there was just this pressure, this expectation, like, Oh, you're just, you have, you have sex like pretty quickly after you meet someone. And like, even though I was a Christian, I was kind of like, you know, not super strong at that point. And so I would, Like I had sex with people and I wish I wouldn't have done that. Um, I wish I could say, you don't have to do that. That's not part of this. Doesn't have to be part of this. So Mm -hmm. um, just keep holding on to what, you know, to be good and true. And if I had time to write this down, it would sound better, but, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, just stop worrying about guys, stop worrying about sex, like live your life, have adventures Mm -hmm. and just that'll fall into place and when it should,
0: and it's not worth stressing out over. Yeah. Caitlin, do you have any last questions before we start wrapping things up?
1: Um, No, but we do wanna give Erica uh, an opportunity to tell um, the audience about your projects and what you're working on.
2: Sure, yeah. Uh, So I, as I mentioned, I'm a writer and I um, write freelance articles. Uh, so I've actually written a little bit about like purity culture and stuff like that, but you can find some of my work on my website, which is Ericaanderson.com. Um, and then, um, I'm also a writing coach. So if you want a writing coach, I can help yeah. you out there. Um, but you can follow me on Instagram at Erica underscore Anderson as well. So Wonderful. those are the main things. And, um, yeah, this is definitely a topic that I continue to come back to, it's important yeah. to me to talk yeah. about it. And, you know, for people to, like for me, when I found Wanting It More and found you guys, I felt so seen for the first time. I felt so mm-hmm. alone for so long. Like nobody understood me. And all of a sudden, I met this whole group of people that, like, understood everything I was saying. And so, I want to talk about it because I don't want any woman to feel like that. Cause it's a really awful yeah. place to be where you feel like there's something
0: wrong with you when there's not. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. 100%. That's why
0: we're here. That's why we're doing this. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you, Erica, for so bravely sharing your story with us. And thank you for just being in the middle and being okay with being in the middle. Cause I think that's really powerful is not arriving and saying, I've got all the answers. I know what the solution is, but being like, I'm still walking through my fields here. Like there's a lot to work through. And I think that's so powerful for so many women who are in that middle. And so thank you for being so vulnerable with us. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the not tonight podcast.
1: If today's story resonated with you, we invite you to continue the conversation by joining our free online community. Go to nottonight.org community to connect with other women just like you. We also
0: greatly appreciate your support by subscribing to future episodes and please leave our podcast a five-star review. Until next time, keep doing the work in your sex life, whatever that looks like for you.